Welcome to the Aikidojo podcast. I am David Ito, Chief Instructor of the Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And I am Bill D'Angelo. Well, we've got a really good topic today. Um, the topic today is what um, special techniques or hacks have you developed or use both to learn as a student in your own training before you became a teacher? And then what, what special techniques or hacks have you found and employed in becoming a teacher? So it's pretty broad. That is broad. And you're talking about something that Furu-sensei hated to talk about. Right. He said, there are no hacks. There are no Secrets. shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. There's only training. Uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and Christmas, and New Year's. But maybe that's the hack, right? <sighs> Consistency? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, no, I mean, you have to have consistency to get good. Constancy and consistency. But along the way, there are ways to speed things up. Lever up. Lever up, level up in order to move faster or maybe think you are. I don't know. But those things, you know, we, we call them today in the modern world hacks. Right. For instance, they called it secret work. I like that term. It's and, nice. He, you know, secret, secret. For instance, they used to say secret work. And secret work meant those things that you do to improve your, your skill or get things done that no one will ever know. Wow. So this is could potentially be a very uh, revealing <laughs> podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you're going to hold something back. I don't know. I don't hold anything back. You got to. If you want to beat me, you got to catch me first, right. right? So, if you if you want, you could you could I could tell you all the secrets and the hacks that and exist, and it won't matter if you're not the type of person that will do it, right? So wait, let's let's start like because I think this is easier, maybe not easier, but it's the beginning. Um, over, you know, you're, is this your 33rd year? 33rd year of Aikido. 33rd year in Aikido. Wow. That's pretty impressive. So, and for a large portion of that, you've been the chief instructor at Aikido Center of Los Angeles. But before you became the chief instructor, what are some of these things that you would consider, or for instance, they would consider secret work that, um, people would love to hear from their chief instructor as, as his experience as a student? Well, when you before we get into that, you have to ask yourself why do you need hacks, shortcuts, secret work? Why do you need those things? Uh, Fru Sensei often would say, "This is part of my training." Okay. And whenever he said, "This is part of my training," I always leaned in and listened because he was giving out a secret. Right. Um, the one that we talk about all the time is that Fru Sensei would often uh, send out one hundred newsletters. So he would grab a stack of newsletters, I mean, a, a stack of envelopes, and then put it in the printer. And then when the printer ran out, he would know if he grabbed 100. So he would use his sixth sense to grab a stack of 100 envelopes. You know, so that, that's kind of like a hack that he would do or a way to test himself. You know, it's kind of interesting that Free Sense himself never trained when I was a student. Right. 
And in class, he never trained. Never in trained class. in class. And I always wondered: Does he do zazen? Does he take ukemi when no one's around? What is he doing? Is he doing subudi at night? You know, things like that. And I never asked him because if you asked Furu Sensei about a hack, a secret, get angry. A sh- oh my god, he would just say, "You better show up every day." And then you know, then he would just yell Rail at you. you. Yeah. So you never, you would never ask that. But he, like one time, he said the way he he tests himself is demonstrations. Hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't warm up. He doesn't rehearse. He just goes out and does a demonstration. Wow. And based on where, how he does a demonstration is where he... Gages himself. Gages himself as level to be at. And so, you know, you kind of think about stuff like that. Like Free Sensei would say stuff like, you don't, you don't get a warm up when you show up late. And right. then you, you have to be ready. And that's part of your training. Again, that word, part of your training. It's part of your training to be ready. It's part of your training, dot, dot, dot. It's part of your training. And so whenever he would talk about stuff like that, like he would say, it's part of your training to be ready to train at all times. So you have to have a uniform in your car. Right. It's part of your training, you know. So, I mean, but but the thing is that, like, you can't – today, if you wanted to, I don't know, lose weight, you use a, uh, some type of program, bi- program or biohack you know, where you start, you, you stop drinking sodas, and you, you, you eat chia seeds to lose weight. But technically those things, none of those things work. So, Sensei, when, we, when, I, when I hear the word hack, and I mean, you know that as a lawyer, I work with a lot of tech companies. The sense I get of what hack is, uh, is often like a reprogramming. Finding out what the code is and finding a way to make the code better with no one seeing that you're making the code better. Or a hack is a way to harness the normal situation to your own advantage. Well, no, but like a hack, what I was saying is that a hack, like if you're not exercising and watching what you eat, it doesn't matter if you eat chia seeds or not. Right. It's not going to work. Not going to work. But if you're working, actively working out and actively watching what you eat and managing your hydration, chia seeds can be the hack which helps get you from A to Z. Right. Right. So these hacks can't be employed by people who aren't in the game. A hack can only be employed by a person who's actively in the game. Already committed. Already committed themselves to losing weight, getting better at Aikido, learning how to draw and all these types of things. Like my calligraphy teacher told me that having a teacher is the ultimate uh, shortcut. Interesting. Because theoretically, you're just teaching yourself. And then to have someone guide you and say, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do that, that's the ultimate cheat, he said. Right, having objective feedback. Right, someone who say, to tell you, uh, don't do that. Right, you or know, do like, it this way. Like, t- some people think the ultimate hack is cross-training. Oh, I do Aikido, and then I do Krav Maga. I do Aikido, and I do BJJ. I do Aikido and Karate. But getting good at, at Aikido in itself is the hardest thing. Right. And then adding karate technically only confuses you because you're trying to learn two things well. You have to be really good at Aikido and then start learning karate and then that helps you become better because you saw the way that you move, that you're supposed to flow in the technique or you saw the way you're supposed to move your feet and then you incorporated that thing into Aikido. And that's what I do with yoga. I, I... I, I follow this one guy on Peloton who's really into biomechanics, and then I use some of the things that he talks about in my own teaching. 
right. my own training. Can you give an example or something like that? Or you don't want to you don't want to give an example? Well, it's not that I want to give an example. It's just that like when I stretch, I active I you know if I'm going to stretch my hamstring, you actively stretch your other leg at the same time. You don't just fl- let your right leg flop out while you're stretching your hamstring so over your head. So you use it as a whole body movement. Yeah, you're supposed yeah. to activate these other structures while you're um, um, stretching your leg. So is if if I mean I've heard the following phrase, and I wonder if it applies to secret work, which is you hear people say this all the time: "How you do anything is how you do everything." Right. Is it, that a hack? Uh, it's not a hack, but it, it's it's a thing that reminds you. Like if you like you, you um, what's that famous Jocko Willink? Uh, he has this whole thing of that's not true. Uh, how you do anything is how you do everything is not true, but on a certain level, it is true. So that's where you think like Bruce Lee said there there are no um, forms. Yeah, because Bruce Lee's up here. Right. But the person down here needs forms. If you don't know how to punch, you you got to learn how to punch. Right. And how you learn how to punch is by following a traditional form, boxing, karate, taekwondo, something like that. Right. You don't just go, well, there are, Bruce Lee said there are no forms, you know, like punching stuff and then you break your hand. <laughs> right. Right. So you, the, what, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything doesn't necessarily apply up here. Okay. But down here, you know, like I, I was... T- tell people like you got to make it a martial art all the time right because that one day that one technique that you don't make a martial art is the day that you need that technique and then you can't fall back on it because how you do anything is how you do everything and because you, you you're lazy about it that laziness is going to come out in the moment when you need it so you were talking today in first class a little bit about um the integrity or commitment um, on the ukemi or the attack side, and that that, that really is an, a, a core element of how we practice. I'm just curious, like, what made you decide to emphasize that in today's class, and how does that apply maybe to a hack? I don't know. It just maybe makes me mad the way people strike, but <laughs> but the reason why we sit, we we you look about look at it in that in that sense is that if I don't make this a martial art all the time when I need it to be a martial art, it won't be a martial. It won't art. come out automatically. Yeah, it won't come out. It'll take too much time to come out. If I concentrate and put all my effort into being a martial art, when I ever have to use it, I can ramp it up. Right. Right. Or or I need or I can turn it down a little bit. But if I don't ever think of it as a martial art, right, then how can I how can I ramp it up? So when we're talking about practicing ski, you know, mid midsection thrust. Because Aikido is, you know, you think of it as nage waza only, so the person's punching, you're like, oh, I'm just going to whatever. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. And then the person who's punching goes, I'm just waiting for my my opportunity to throw. Half the time you're not on. Right. And so you're apt, when someone attacks you, which side of the fence are you going to fall into? Being on or being off? You want to be on. You want to be, yeah. You, you want need to be, to be on. on. You got to be on. Yeah. Your, your kids' lives, your wife's life, your friend's life, someone's life could be at stake when this thing happens, right? Because right? remember, the the number one most successful element in fighting is the element of surprise. Right. So that guy's walking at you and then just cracking his knuckles and, and doing all warming this stuff, up. warming up to punch you in the face. You go, okay, it's on. on. Right. No, it's, you're you're sitting there talking at the bar going, so anyway, uh, Star Wars is the, and then someone punches you in the face. Right. Right. But that interval between when that person is about to punch you and it's about to hit your face, that's 
the only thing you can save you is intuitive movement. So before you became a teacher, I mean, you were teaching a little bit before, but before you became the chief instructor, you're talking specifically about this always-on capability. I know other martial arts write about, or artists write about this, but is, was there something that that you specifically for yourself, you had your own training that helped you have that that always-on you know, consistency just below the level of your like men, your mental state. I don't know because the dojo at that time was very rough, aggressive, aggressive um, strict. So right. you had to be on all the time. And I, we talked about this in the other podcast that I wanted to beat Fruit Sensei, so I was on all the time. Right. You know, and like it's hard. It's this is a martial art, right? We don't. It's not like. Um, baking cakes where if you don't bake a good cake, everybody just goes and throws it away. This one is someone could get hurt. Right. Someone could die. Skateboarding. Yeah. You could just bail off the skateboard right. and, or no one even sees you ride the skateboard. And so you're just kind of cruising around. It's really only you that gets hurt. Right. But in martial arts, we don't, we don't train to defend ourselves. We just, we train to defend others. others. Right. Of course. Right. And so, there's a, the margin of error. It just can't be there. So if you, if 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 this person's going to attack your family, you you got to be ready. Right. And so, that's the hard part. It's like I don't. I can't really say that that I had a a hack to stay ready. It was that once you get slapped one time, that wakes you up. You sh- you're awakened. Right. And then in a, in a martial arts sense, you're on all the time after that. You're, you're hyper-aware. So I have a question about that because I know I've kind of thought about this and struggled with it at times. Like the average person who doesn't train in martial arts, they walk through life going to Disneyland, for example, and you just enjoy Disneyland. And you eat candy and you do this, you wait in line, you get drowsy and sleepy. Is it a burden to be a martial artist? Yeah. Yeah. It is. You don't, I was just talking with one of the students and she, she started laughing because – uh, she's like, well, you know, just, you know how you are. And I go, what? I'm like Lionel Richie. And she said, what do you mean? I go, I'm easy like Sunday morning. Right. I go, actually Sunday's my worst day. And then she just laughed. She go, Oh, you're not right. But like, yeah. you're, you're not because you like, for instance, just, just the other day, there was a, there's a pizza place, Italian restaurant across the street from my office. Okay. And I guess a guy went in there, doused the the chef with gas and tried to stab him or light him on fire. I mean, right across the street from my office in Thousand Oaks in this really nice, nice area, we think, will that happen? So when it, that element of surprise, that thing that happens, yeah, it doesn't happen, you know, right in front of you all the time. But just the other day, there was a, a a massive brawl at Disneyland. Oh, really? I didn't see the news on that. (laughs) And so your, you're, you think that nothing can happen to you, right? right? And so you're sitting around going, oh, nothing could ever happen to me. And largely, it does not. Right. Right. But like, if you're a lawyer, you're, you're not thinking about at any time I could be sued, but it happens. Right. And you when it happens, anticipate. you have to be ready. Yeah. And we talked about this in another podcast where I don't wear flip flops. You know, right. I don't, you know, I do, I do all these things to make sure. But then that enables my kid not to get hit by a car. Right. That enables. My family not to... You're ready at all times. Yeah, and you're hoping that you can be ready, which we can't be 100% ready. But maybe we could be 80%, right. 91, 91%, you know? But So it's not that... that it, is, it is a burden to be this way, but it's something that is part of my personality. Right. My personality is 
has always been this way. It always looks, it always anticipates, it always looks ahead. And maybe because my, my, my dad was kind of a jerk or the way in which I grew up was, was not very nice. And maybe that it, I shouldn't be this way because maybe I need to get to this place up here where how you do anything is how you do everything is not true. Right. But it's not true because you have to let it go. So, you know, one of the things that I think I struggle with with this always-on mentality, we talked about the Disneyland effect where people are just wandering around in a stupor having a great time. Um, Do you find that your yoga practice helps you stay focused and, and like, open-minded when it might otherwise find the martial arts mentality is a little bit stressful? I don't find it as being stressful, but I find it as being a burden because I think of all the time about about how oh, levels getting bad, oh, hamstrings getting tight, oh my low back's getting tight, oh you know my vision's getting worse as I get older, you know, and then that's and then that's where how you do anything is how you do everything doesn't apply anymore, right? Because now you can't be that person at all times. Well, you realize you needed that facade to get good, but once you get good, you realize it's a facade, okay? Because you can't drive your car like that every day right. you can't you, who can afford to have caches of prepping supplies at every every Location. two mile juncture on the from here to your house so that you can walk home and be ready and there's a gun i mean it's just too much right and so it's not not, not so much it's a, it's a burden it's your personality but once you you see behind the facade of being like that it's not facade once you see behind that that's not necessarily necessary anymore. Then you start to think, oh, how you do anything and how you do everything only applies in the beginning. In the beginning, right. and later on, it doesn't apply anymore. And that, when you think about, yes, I can eat chia seeds to get to lose weight, but really, I should stop drinking soda. Right. It's probably eating it's, ice cream. Eating ice cream is probably faster than just just adding chia seeds to your your diet and then all my miraculously lost weight. I miraculously, because anytime you miraculously lose weight, you should go to the doctor. Right. Because it's not a good sign. That's, that is what we call in, in, in a, uh, a red flag. Right. When you look at any red flag symptom, I've lost, have you recently lost a lot of weight? And I'm so happy yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Well, let me ask you another question. You're talking about getting to that, that always on mentality. That's kind of like, ready but not like anxious um is there anything that you recall like from when you first started training as a student is there something that you affirmatively said i'm going to change this about myself and it made me a better student no i had to become uh, you, I, I had to become a student and that took that took six months Wow. Because before you were just a guy showing up for a workout hey what's up you some push-ups yeah let's do some subruti yeah whatever just just showing up after that six months is where you have to i had to become committed because i wanted to win right you know and like one little weird hack we used to have carpet <laughs> and i think you were stu- you were a student yeah when we had carpet. Yeah, when at first you still had it um and so you would get these mat burns all over your ankles toes nice. top of your feet uh ankles elbows ears every once in a while um shoulders and elbows even through your gi right i mean right. the other day i had my arm up you know rubbing my head and one of my kids went what's that scar from and <laughs> i can't see it anymore and i go oh that's from the dojo and right the, and so 
I found, I, I don't know where I, I heard it from, but I started putting moisturizer on my ankles. To make feet, it more slick. To make it more slick um, one hour before class. Not, That's a not, hack. Not right That's before. That's definitely a hack. Because, and then that totally stopped it from. from Hurting. Uh, no, from getting uh, the rug burn uh, in class. So I would do my elbows and my ankles and top of my feet every not the bottoms but the the top the top and then um what one hour before class and i would use this one like i tried a whole bunch of different ones cuz some of them stay greasy too long right and then that was no good um so you ha- it had to dry enough to just to make your 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 body part a little bit more slick right and so i would do that and i i don't know when i how long i'd been doing aikido but I used to always get these rug burns on my ankles and top of my feet that were like so painful all the time. And like, I was like the sixth man of the dojo because anybody who came would get these rug burns after they, after they, they worked out. But I used to do stuff like that to try to get, just to get it to where it didn't hurt as much. Right. right. You know, and then of course you have to apply yourself. Like every day I would um, practice rolling at home to try to improve my rolling, but that's not necessarily a hack. So you were, I wanted to ask, like, what did you do as you were preparing for your black belt test? Like, did you develop anything yourself that, like, Sensei says, you know, you're going to test, and you're like, I mean, I know you were at a very accelerated learning, but I'm curious, was there, did you do anything particular to prepare for a test? Well, that's a funny th- story, and that's why Sensei hates hacks, right? And this comes down to this one story that, so I was, t- I, I was really into sports psychology, Okay. I mean, I probably should have been a sports psychologist, but I really was for the longest time. Every book that was ever written on sports psychology, I, I you read. read it. Now, I mean, but I haven't I haven't read any in like oh, I wow. haven't probably twenty years, fifteen years. But I, every one that came out that would that I would read them, and I was really into this idea of visualization. Okay. And so, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I did, did not come to Aikido every day. During the summer times, I would because it was summer. Right, but time off. The other times, I would just, I just wouldn't. I'd go play pool with my buddies at night, <laughs> hang out. You know, I was in college, right? Right. Um, Watanabe Sensei, he he came to every every class. I did not. Um, and so one of the things that I remember, my one of my teachers who was in sports psychology said that he wanted to test the theory of visualization, and so he tried out for the fire department. And he took all the tests, and he used visualization for the um, oral interview. So really? He, yeah. And so he told me this whole method of how he did it. Like he he went and looked at the um, testing room. So he went to the he went to the place, paid the janitor to let him look in what the room looked like, so he could visualize wow. the room. He knew the type of questions that he would be asked. He and he visualized him. He would spend um, time every day visualizing the oral interview. Wow. And when he took the took the interview, he he scored a hundred, right? And then he he was just doing it to to test himself, right? And so every day, I knew I was very kinesthetically inclined, and I you know, I was a, you know I learned kinesthetically. So every day I would go to the gym, and in addition to lifting weights, which you probably shouldn't do because it's not good for Aikido, but I would walk on the treadmill for seventy minutes wow. at the highest grade. Today they call it twelve thirty thirty twelve three thirty. Three miles, twelve percent grade for thirty minutes. Um, but I would do that for seventy minutes every day, walking on this treadmill, zoning out, 
doing the black belt test. And if I got lost in the test, I would go back to the beginning and start the whole thing over. Um, And then when I took the test, like for instance, it said that was the best test I had ever seen. Yeah. But you had already taken it like 150,000 times. Yeah. I probably took it 300 times already. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Keep going. But so the, on top of that, there was no, there were no, there was no literature involved with taking the test. There was no, there were no guidelines. So I just sat in on the test or, or, or took the chemi for the test. And then I got an idea of what the was going to be asked. And I wrote it all out. And then I went through Aikido books and got the right names and all those different things. And so I knew, the, I knew what the format of the test was and I knew what would be on the test because of my research. So after I take the test and I do that and like um, someone else becomes a black book candidate and they're walking by Fru Sensei. No, they asked me in the dressing room, hey, can I get your stuff? And I said, sure. And I gave it to them. He got mad. And then they walked out and then Sensei was sitting on the blue mats up right, right by the door. And then Sensei said, oh, you better start training. And the person said, I don't have to train that hard. Oh, I got no. David's notes. And then he oh, took them no. away to say, David, get down here. And I went down and he said, you're not allowed to share that with anyone ever. Really? Yeah. You're not allowed to, and then you're not allowed to, you are not allowed to help anyone take the test. And I was all, hi. Damn. And that, because the thing is that you're giving, for one, visualization, most people take it as they don't have to go to class. Right. And then two, all the research and investigatory things that you have to do. That helped you learn. That helps you learn that people aren't going to do because you're giving it to them. Right. And so I was banned from giving anyone my notes and I was banned from helping anyone prepare for the test. That's pretty rough. I, I, I had a question you were talking about visualization because that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you about. But as a, as a sports physiologist and as a Chinese doctor, medicine doctor, my understanding, very limited understanding of visualization is that for certain actions that you visualize, it engages the exact part of your brain that does the actual action or technique. So like if I imagine really well doing Ikkyo Irimi from Shomenuchi, when I go run that through my brain, the movie, that's the part of my brain that will actually do the technique. Yeah, and and muscles. And muscles too. They've done they've done all these studies that and hook these like Olympic athletes up to these, you know, sensors and then while they're visualizing visualizing their event, the muscle groups were firing while they were doing it. So, that's pretty trippy. Yeah, and your brain. The, so there's this idea that your brain cannot. That's why I always tell the students: watch free sensei's videos, listen to them, but don't watch them or listen. Just have them going. Right. And then your unconscious mind will pick up on it. So there's this theory that the unconscious mind cannot tell if it's you doing it or you seeing it. Wow. Okay. So the more you visualize, the more you watch free sensei's videos the movements start to become part into your body. Internalized. Yeah, internalized. And then before you know it, you're just doing it, and you don't even know how you're doing it. That almost seems to me like one of the greatest hacks or learning techniques that, that is in existence for any activity. Yeah, and then you just you, you you just need to find a place where you're comfortable enough to see the forest through the trees. Mm. So you go, oh, like when I go to Japan, and and Doshi or Dojo Toe's teaching some technique that I've never seen before, which just doesn't really Rare. happen. I just I don't go, oh my god, what am I doing? And then start getting all afraid. I go, hmm, well it's Ikkyo. And then my mind just conjures the technique. And then I do it right. and it looks exactly like theirs. 
you know, one time we had a, a teacher come from another dojo and I took his, we, we took his class. I took his one hour class mm-hmm. and then he took me aside and he said, no one, you have mastered my style. Wow. And no one has ever mastered my style that fast. And then he, and then he's like, oh, he's like talking about it. And in my mind. I go, I don't know what he did. I just copied. Right. That Japanese style of just watching and copying that you could do that. And then I, I didn't particularly think his style was that great. So I don't even remember it. I mean, I could kind of explain it to you what he did, but the nuances of the movement, I, I thought. It didn't is, keep. Well, it didn't keep because it's just, this is very archaic Aikido. Right. You know, um, when I go to Hawaii, I'm going to interview Yoshida Sensei and I'm going to actually use a question about that as far as for our, as, as the theme of the podcast. But that when you go somewhere, you should just be able to watch and copy. And that watching and copying is a form of visualization. So you watch. When, once you get good at watching, it's you're just visualizing. So is there, you know, talking about visualization, my sense is that, like, when you, when you take a class as a student and also when you teach, that sometimes you will do a movement, you'll short-circuit yourself by doing it the way you think it's supposed to be instead of the way it actually is. Yeah. I notice that with Happens myself and when I'm teaching that some of the easiest corrections are when people are doing something from some other thing, not only in a martial art, but just the way that they move. They're they're thinking this is it without actually just looking at you as the teacher and copying it. Well, some of it's judgment. Oh, I don't know about this. This is what is that guy doing? Why is he talking like this? I don't like that. Your 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 conscious mind is being engaged. Right. So they say someone told me that if your tongue is moving, <laughs> your 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 conscious mind is engaged. Wow. I don't know how true that is and all the stuff all the type of, that type of stuff, but like when you're watching the technique, you have to be like completely neutral and and like a sponge. So you watch the technique and then you go do 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 and then you just go do it. You don't go, I don't know, what's he doing? Why is he doing it like that? Oh, this is don't so stupid. It. Well, you're not analyzing it. Your conscious thought is, conscious mind is thinking. Right. So because your conscious mind is thinking, you can't absorb. Supposedly, your conscious mind can only take in a thousand bits of information, something like that. Knock on wood, don't, don't hold me to that number. A thousand bits of information, but your subconscious mind can take in a hundred thousand or a hundred million bits of information. <laughs> That's crazy. It's like it's it's that that crazy of a gap between your conscious and subconscious mind. So when you watch the technique, and you're ta- and you're and you're thinking, oh, and you're judging, your conscious mind can't take it in. And right. then they go go, and you go, Ugh, and then you go, I'm just going to do my own thing. So that that reminds me of something that we've talked about, maybe not on the podcast, but we certainly have talked about it. How you have a you have a procedure in uh, exam, Aikido exams, that if you get the person, the, the testee, um, tired enough, that that ability to self-judge gets short-circuited. And that's kind of like a hack too, right? That is a hack. And I tried, I, I, I did it for, I've done it a, a bunch of times, but. Well, maybe explain what the hack is first and then like so, say what you do or don't do anymore. So the, the idea is that you cannot think when you're so tired, right? You're just so tired. You can only move or give up. Right. And so most people don't want to give up. They just move. And then once they can do that, there's like this breakthrough that happens. 
generally you try to do it to them. Hopefully they have done it in class and then they've, they've already got it. But sometimes you do it in the black belt test because the thing is that there's something there that they really, really want and they won't quit. So um, one method I used to use is that we would do a 6.30 a.m. intensive class. You, so you train from 6.30 to 8 and then everyone is just thrashing you. Right. And then you go to break, breakfast. Oh, wait, 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 let me back up. So the, this idea is that you train Friday night. Right. You spend the night at the dojo. Don't sleep. Everyone's acting ridiculous, so you don't sleep. We have 6.30 a.m. class, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. You go to breakfast, and then you come back and you take the, the 9 a.m., the 10 a.m., and the 11 a.m. class. So you're fried. And then you take the test an hour later. So you're already super tired and, you know, and then when you take the test, you can no longer go, oh, I don't know. What do you think it should be? Your mind just shuts off. Right. Because it has to because you're so tired, it cannot allocate energy to run your conscious mind. So you kind of, in a certain sense, go unconscious and you're just moving, moving. You see that in ranger school too. Oh, really? Yeah. If you watch like these Navy SEAL and ranger things where people just stop moving through conscious thought and they just start doing it. And then if you trained yourself properly, you can just reassemble that rifle. Right. You can do the techniques. But once you turn, once you, there's this really weird watershed moment that happens is that once you're so tired and you just start moving, your mind, your conscious mind shuts off and then you start to get, your body just starts moving. And then from that point on, you're changed. Right. Because that intuitive movement just got came in, ran in through that door when your conscious mind opened it. So why, why did it, it sounded like you were going to go off in a different direction and say that you don't use this technique as much anymore. Um, is it a safety issue or? No, it's, it's a cruelty issue. You think it's too cruel? Yeah. It's too, it's, to do that to people is, I mean, really it's a young person's thing. Yeah. Right. Because it, it, you, it takes so much physicalness. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if I had my way, I'd do that for every black belt test, for every rank, first, second, third, fourth. Because you, that will force you to get to this level where you no longer move um, consciously. It's all intuitive, instinctive. So you hear you hear about like um, like I love to read about sports psychology and sports medicine. Um, that like. Maybe you do or don't remember this, but they're, the, the Bulgarians used to be really famous for their weightlifting in the 70s and 80s. And they had this coach that they would, seven days a week, do all three, all two Olympic lifts every day, working up to a max every day. And one of the things the coach said was, he said that this type of training, which you might call severe or torture, um, taught you how to work when your mind or your body says it can't. Yes. It's all it's all mind games. Uh, David Goggins' book, "You Can't Hurt Me," I think it's called. It's all mind games. Well, he's telling you these stories, but what he's de- basically telling you this is, these are mind games he plays with himself. Right. And then they just have stories of his life sprinkled in. But the, all those things he's talking about, taking souls and all that stuff, those are all mi- mind games you play with yourself and with other people that you don't realize how much you have left in the tank. Right. Because you think you don't, but you do. Right. Like David Goggins, I think it's either 40 or 60%. He said that the moment when you want to give up, you're only really hitting like 40 or 60%. <sighs> I remember reading that. That's really kind of crazy. And that's, well, it's 100% true. 
I totally believe that. You, When you're ready to give up, you're really at only like 40 or 60, maybe 50%. Because your, your conscious mind goes, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to get hurt. And then your conscious mind starts telling you stories. Right. And then you go, yeah, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, oh, I'm going to get hurt. Yeah, oh, and then you, you bail you out. Right. And then you don't realize like once you push through this moment, there's something on the other side of that. Like one time I was doing this meditation retreat and everything hurt. And then I remember sitting till there's a point where like your legs fall asleep. And then, you know, when your legs fall asleep, it, it starts to hurt. Yeah. And it was so painful. And then you couldn't move. We did this one. There's this one where you're not allowed to move. And it was like so painful. And I was like, oh my God. And then there was this moment where it just broke through. Wow. After like 40 minutes. And then you're like... You're sitting, your legs fell asleep, it broke through, and you just, at the at the hour mark, you just got up and walked around. And you're like, wait, what happened to the pain? Right. Like, oh, there's a breakthrough that happens. And then you go, oh, wow. And then you try to, you try to break through with your mind and every little thing that you do. If you do not achieve your goals, whatever your goal is, the reason why you did not achieve your goals is because you talked yourself out of it. I think that's like the biggest hack. And I know it. And I, whenever I don't achieve this goal, I go, I know I've, I talked myself into f- giving up. Yeah. Oh, I better, you know, I don't eat ice cream all that often. Oh, you know, pizza. This is my favorite pizza place, even though I don't like this pizza. You know, <laughs> you know all these little things. I'm never going to eat pizza again. Oh, and then it's just a mind game you play. So a lot of these hacks, if, you know, like we bring it back to this idea of eating chia seeds helps you lose weight. It's... And I, I tell this to my patients all the time, and that's maybe why no one really likes me. But it's like I say stuff that like someone asked me, do crystals and essential oils work? And I said, I don't know. But what I do know is that when I take a, smell that essential oil or when I hold that crystal in my hand for that one moment, I am mindful. So if we think of this idea of forgiving people and I smell, you know, eucalyptus or lavender that helps me forgive people, that one moment when I go and breathe it in, I am mindful of forgiveness. When I hold that stone and I say, forgiveness is for me, forgiveness is for me, holding that stone in that one moment is being mindful. So does it work? Yes and no. But it is a technique. Eating chia seeds, does that help you lose weight? No, but the chia seeds helped you be mindful for that one moment. I'm eating the chia seeds to lose weight. And then you don't eat the burger or you eat the salad. You do that thing and it brings you back to that moment. So a lot of these hacks, do they really work? Mm, Does fruit sensei grabbing the envelopes, the hundred envelopes and putting the hundred envelopes in, is that work? No, but then that one moment, he's being mindful of trying to be better. Right. I remember like when I used to work with him sometimes, I'm sure you had this experience, he would cut the envelopes when he opened the mail. And like, and if I was doing it, and I muffed it even a little bit, oh my God, I got yelled at. For, oh yeah, like one time I helped him put um, stamps on postcards. Oh my God, you thought, you thought I killed somebody. Ran, ran over a baby or something. Oh my God, you're so horrible. Because the, the. It wasn't lined up properly. It wasn't lined up properly in the exact right spot, done all the stuff. And you're just like, I don't even want to help anymore. Right. But that's that thing. How you do anything is how you, you do, do everything. everything. At this level, at that low level, you're trying to remind yourself to be better. Right. And so you, and I still do to this day. When I, when I put the envelopes, when I put the labels stamps. or the stamps on the newsletter today, I get all mad at Mike. <laughs> what are you doing, dude? 
Right. And then I know because I put the label in a certain spot and Mike puts it in a different spot. So when it comes back and it comes back all the time with no postage because one of us made a mistake. Well, I'll know who did it if it was me or Mike because because put, of the placement because yeah. of the placement, you know, yeah. but so, yeah, I mean, there's all these little things, but really hacks and all that stuff. They just keep you in the game. They right. keep your mind on track. Well, it's always like the mentality of like always trying to be better, right? Right. And then if you if you're mindful of trying to be better, the hack helps you be better, right? So right. you uh if you're gonna cross train and do Krav Maga and Aikido, Krav Maga doesn't make you better at Aikido. In fact, on a certain level it makes you worse. But doing it to make you better in that one moment you're mindful of trying to be better. Be better. Which maybe, is the ultimate yeah. test. And maybe it helps you stay in shape a little bit more or, you know, whatever it is. But that's the hard, that thing about using one thing to make another thing better. Well, you know, I learned to make pizzas in order to learn how to make spaghetti better. No, nah, that doesn't work. You just right. have to keep making pizzas. Or spaghetti. Or spaghetti, right? You, so it's like if you want to get good at Aikido, just do more Aikido. But sometimes it's not – That's not. sometimes that's boring or sometimes that's just not possible. But having that mindset of saying to yourself, walking on the treadmill didn't make me better at Aikido, but it made me mindful of it for right. 70 minutes. And the mindfulness training is is the ultimate test. Is the ultimate hack. Yeah, ultimate hack and test, I would imagine. Yeah, and so, we, I mean, I could tell you all kinds of little crazy things I used to do, but, you know, being mindful of that moment, putting um, moisturizer on my ankles and knees and right. all that stuff. Again, that one moment is that one moment. And you think about it from this idea of like um, neuroplasticity. We talked about this before. Right, we've talked about neuroplasticity. If I, for, if I am put the moisturizer on my ankles for that one moment, the next day my mind will create the neurotransmitter of being mindful of training. It'll, it'll make 100. But if I don't, it makes 99. Right. So every time you do that, it builds it for, for neuroplasticity and speed, it builds a neurotransmitter for that thing. Right, right. So... Whatever it is, right? If you want to get, you know, sh I don't tie my belt like Watanabe Sensei does or like most people in the world. I tie it in a square knot. Let's just move on in life. <laughs> but a person who's really trying to be mindful of their training, that one moment of mindfulness could help them. Right. I don't need that because I'm my mindfulness is a different it's a different level. Right. Right. And so you think every little thing you can anything you can do to be more mindful is a hack. You know, as part of your training. And is that why, for instance, you would say that, and he wouldn't say this, but maybe what he was thinking is don't try to develop hacks because if you just come to practice, you know, often enough. That's do all it, you need. It's all you need, right? It's tried and true. A hack, you get bored of the hack. Doing doing yoga for Aikido, you get bored of it. And then you just, and then you stop doing it. And then because you stop doing it, now you're not mindful. So you didn't come to class because you're going to do yoga. And then... You missed out on training. You stopped doing yoga. Then it's just void, right? And then some people need that, right? If you read um, Donald Miller's uh, Hero on a Mission, he talks about we have to always have a mission. Once your mission ends, you have to get start. A new one. Yeah. So you you win that race. The next day, you start to get like this fallout depression from it because you have to always be on mission as human beings. So if we think about this idea of always having to be on mission. Hacks are just an interesting way to stay in the game. So one of the things I think about that might be a Furiya Sensei technique, maybe not a hack, is we still have it here. But I remember when I first started training, and this was something new to me, 
I remember looking up on the bulletin board and there was two or three one pagers with different sayings. Um, like today's not your day. Tomorrow's not your day. I don't think it looks good for you at all. You're probably not going to get what you want. Uh, but there were three or four of these. The other one, I think one of the other one that might still be up is, um, you can't buy back a, a moment of your life, a moment a, of your life with a million dollars. And these, these sort of like, um, things to meditate on that when you start to feel them, maybe that, creates a better learning capability. Well, again, it's that moment of mindfulness, right? The, for every proverb, there's a proverb that that's uh, the anti-proverb. Right. Right? So you think, oh, yeah, Sun Tzu said this, or, yeah, um, you know, all those things. But, again, it just helps you helps you get through the day. Well, you know, um, live every day as if you're, it's your last. <sighs> right. That helps you get through the day, right? Or, or, you know, sometimes you just, just kill yourself, <sighs> you know, like it's all those things are the proverbs, idioms, and all those things are, they're just a, how to get through the moment. Cause some people need some people that idiom works here, but does not work here. Right. Some days this proverb works here, but not there. And so they're just to help you get through the day. Do you, I, cause I know we both like to do this, but how is how has reading affected your your learning capability? Because I know you're a wide ranging reader. I, I was a wide reader, but I can't read anymore because my ADHD and I don't take medication makes it too hard to read. Yeah, but like, you've read a lot. Did I, you did you I find have. it was helpful? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, because and the funny thing is, like you read something and then you go, I don't get it. But then two years later, six months later, a, a while later, you'll go, Oh shoot, that's what they mean. Right. Like when uh, D.T. Suzuki is talking about um, Katsujinken, Satsujinken, that type of thing, where like the sword that gives life, the sword that takes life. Right. You think, oh, what does that mean? Uh, the sword, and then you don't really understand. But then later on, you, you read something else, and then it kind of, you, you go, oh, yeah, on a certain level, the sword, it is not you who kills, even though the, you, it is the you are the hand that wields it. The sword kills because it, that it's an instrument of death. It's sharp. It cuts. But it's not you that kills. And that's when you back, out, back it out a little bit, you go, oh, so then if I don't have the intention in my heart, then it's not killing. Oh, well, then it's just the intention. But then if I don't have the intention in my heart, then I don't need to draw the sword. Right. Oh, it's a sword that gives. Oh, you know, I know what you're talking about. And then you... You kind of like, it's just a mental, a mental game. It's just a thought experiment. We think, yeah, the sword gives life. The sword takes life. Well, the sword takes life. It kills people. It gives life because it kills the person that was going to kill people. So it gave people back their lives. That's a very rudimentary way to think about it. But when you think about this idea of intentionality, yeah, the sword is kills all on its own. But then. And you you know you start thinking from this concept of intentionality, the concept of uh, fatalism, the concept. And you go, oh wow, and you think, and you really, it's you start to think about it, and then you no longer want to beat people up or kill people because you spent all this time thinking about what does it mean, the sword that gives life or the sword that takes life. Yeah, I mean, so you know, we we've talked about intentionality, mental focus, commitment, significant training. But it's for that student that's listening to this podcast to jump ahead, not ahead of other people, but just to jump ahead. They're listening to this. What, what's the one thing or two things that you you can take from either your experience as a teacher 
or a student or what you've watched other people improve on? What are what are some of those individual other than the things we've already spoken about? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you don't. I've been philosophizing about um, hacks and secret work and all that type of stuff, but maybe people want to know some of the things that I would do. Yeah, well, I think we should talk about that. One time, uh, we we had these twenty visitors from Japan come, and then so each of us had to take five people in the car and. One guy in the head of me had all the girls in his car and he drove all fast. And I'm not from L.A. city. And so I got lost on the way home. And then there was a festival on Broadway and I had to get off like three miles away from the dojo and all this stuff. And when I finally got back to the to the hotel, I think I was 30 minutes late. Oh, man. Since it went off on me, just like I mean, he didn't want to hear it. Just went off on me. We saw the, the Japanese visitors in the hotel. Came out to the car, went off on me, slammed the door, and then I was so mad. And then I went home, and I looked. This is before you know GPS internet. and the internet. I looked up all of Sensei's favorite restaurants, and in the phone book, got the addresses, got out the Thomas Guide, and then made my own maps of how to get back to the dojo for every single one of his restaurants, and. By ma- the act of making the map enabled me to figure out how to get there and back without having to look at the map. The map, but that was like this thing where I wanted to beat Sensei, and so I said, "Okay, I made these maps." And then I was never, rarely, if ever, got caught in a situation where I didn't know how to get back to the dojo because even if I'd never been to this restaurant before, I go wait. The other rest, that one restaurant I do know is three blocks Close from by. here. So if I drive that in that direction. I'll just use that one method to get home. So I would make these maps, right? So So is preparation in a sense a, a hack? Yeah, prep being, being prepared, prepared. Yeah. So and I do that in everything I do now, right? If I go if I'm going to go someplace, I look it up and I I look at the the GPS map first and try to memorize it and then drive there. Even now. Even now. Even though I still just use and I'm horrible with directions. I have no sense of direction. And so uh, GPS really works so well. So you use Waze? I use Waze for every, everything. everywhere I go, even when I drive home. Just to get a sense of when you're going to get home, get that budget of time. Well, I don't want to drive into a traffic jam, which has happened even with Waze. You go, what the? Oh, my gosh. But, like, yeah, I mean, and the other, the other day, Waze was going. I was driving home. I drive the same route at night home all the time. And I go, whoa, what am I doing on the 5? I drive the 101. I go, shoot, I must have gone on the 170. You Ooh, creepy. The yeah. Creepy. You know, because I have no sense of direction. So that's that's something that I would do. You know? I have a question for you about the direction thing because um I mean, we both commute to work significant distances, and there are sort of well known best ways to drive a particular whether it's from Thousand Oaks to here or from Newport Beach to the dojo. But there are what I find is that um, that if you drive the same way over and over and over again and you get to that part where you're supposed to turn left to go to work, on a Saturday you might make a left at that spot where you always do it every time. And this might be a hack. I remember for instance saying, because I didn't drive him as much as you did, but I drove him. And he used to tell me, but I, I want you to tell a story, that he made sure that when he drove that he took different ways to go for a couple reasons. One, because he didn't want anyone to track him, and then also not to build the habit. 
Actually, I don't. I never heard that before. Um, I didn't drive him all that much. He hated. He hated the way I drove. He, no, he hated the way I. Because uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna take the freeway. What are you talking about? He's like, because free such a just drive the freeway. He freeways. I don't know if he drove um, different routes. I know you're not. You're not supposed to drive the same route because your mind can only take in a thousand bits of information. Your conscious mind, and so you you end up just driving like this. Like an automaton. And so if you drive and look around, you'll go, shoot, I never even seen that house there before. Whoa, I didn't know there was a red chimney. Oh, that, that door's red? Because there's all this stuff that's going by you that you're completely missing. So even if you drive the same route, you should look around a little bit and go, dude, there's a, there's a Costco there? I didn't even know that. And then you've been driving this route for 12 years, and you didn't even know there's a, a thing well, there. Well, the, can... the anecdote that I remember with Free Sensei specifically was, Go. I think it was we were going to the Islamic restaurant in uh, oh the Islamic Chinese restaurant Islamic Chinese restaurant, and I remember we drove out a certain way, obviously not on the freeway, but on the way back he's like don't he's like don't take don't take the same route back go this way, and that happened to me maybe only two or three times, but I do remember it like he was like you should not drive the same way there and back. I mean that could be hacked this this paranoia or whatever it yeah. is but yeah I mean anything to to test yourself to push yourself to get into predicaments with people and then try to find your way out of the thing you know that if I let someone choke me can I get out of it right. you know and there's there's an idea behind that but it's just anything you a hack is anything you're going to use to make yourself better right so you do that so you learn five different ways to get to to that part of town and, and and if there's accidents on four, you have the fifth one. Yeah, you 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 know how to drive around it, because you've already spent all this time, you know, like <clears throat> you know, like I used to have to drive. I used to have to teach six thirty a.m. class, three times a week in the dojo, and I lived, you know, far away. Why well, not far away? I lived twenty minutes away from the dojo, but in traffic, it could be. It was 45. crazy. So you had to learn all these different ways. You go oh, tr and this is before GPS and all that stuff. You go oh, traffic, drive around traffic. Because before GPS, you had to listen to AM radio for the traffic report. Right. And then the traffic report would say, you know, the five is shut down and you'd have to find a way around. Today, Waze just takes you around it. Right. But before, you'd have to listen to the to the helicopter traffic report. Sig alert. The sig alert to know, oh, shoot, the five's shut down because there's an accident. And then it's adjust accordingly. Yeah. But that again, that's a hack as well, right? So... I mean, other hacks that I used to do, um, I mean, you know, we talked about me, you have to keep a uniform in the car because you never know the day you forget that one part of your uniform you're be training. and you're going to get caught. You used to have to keep weapons in your car because you don't know if that's the day that they're going to be doing weapons and you, you know, you're going to get in trouble. Did you keep an extra Hakama or extra uniform? So you, it wasn't just yes. that you were prepared for yourself, but you were prepared for other contingencies like your Hakama ripping, someone else's Hakama ripping. Well, I'm short, and so most people can't borrow my hakama. Right. Um, but people borrow my tops. People borrow my, you know, your pants or whatever it is. But like, all those things were there, are there to you're doing so that you don't get caught with your pants down, so to speak. Right. Right. So, you have an extra uniform, just because maybe you forget your uniform or you show up, and then the thing about the reason why you had to have that extra uniform, it, it is to be prepared, but you're going to set sensei off. Because you forgot your top. Right. So if I just go back to the car and get hand my top. Hand it to you secretly. Hand it to you on the down low. 
maybe you don't set sensei off and then we all don't have a horrible class day because you forgot right. to bring your thing. So it's, it's, it's a hack that, that helps your, you and helps other people too. Yeah. You know, like when you drove through sensei, the car has to be gassed up, right. washed, and you have to know how to get there to and from on side streets. Right. And then when you drive through sensei, he tells you to be there at 6.30 a.m. You don't roll in at 6.29. Right. You have to be there one hour ahead of time, car gassed up, washed, um, ready, to go. ready to go, and you know how to get there and back. Because he might go, oh, I need to go here first. So you get there early. But there's tons of times when I'd be at the dojo or sensei would tell me the story that, oh, yeah, such and such person showed up, car was dirty, no, not gassed up. And I'm like, what an idiot. Yeah. Because once you see one person get in trouble for it, you just know not to do it. You don't do it again. So now, yeah, like before before I go pick someone up, the car's gassed up, it's washed, it's, you know, or like if you went to dinner with Fru Sensei, you know, you go to dinner now, everyone just runs away to wash their hands or do whatever it is. In the old days, you weren't allowed to do that. Right. You had to all sit there. Fru Sensei orders tea. We, we order food. And then once conversations start, then you can get up and go wash your hands. Then you get up and use the phone. Right. But if you did that beforehand, oh, my God, since he's waiting, he's waiting. You know, we've been waiting for you to order. And then you would get in trouble for being selfish. And so you knew just sit there and wait since he orders the tea. We order the food. And then since he starts talking and then you quietly excuse yourself from the table to go wash your hands. Right. But, but, but. If you don't know that, you go. You just go to the bathroom, wash your hands, talk on the telephone. Twenty minutes later, you come out, and everybody's waiting for you to so that they can order. And then Sensei flips out on you, right? So, a lot of these things are preventative, right? But like, what's the what's the one thing? Not one, but what's a good example of something that you learned that totally surprised you in its effectiveness? Like, if you had to look back and you're like, yeah, being prepared having an extra uniform, coming to every class or most of the classes. But is there something that you learned along the way as a martial artist that you didn't learn as an acupuncturist, you learned as a Chinese medicine doctor, didn't learn as a sports physiologist? Is there something like that you're like, oh, wow, like that something about Aikido like really changed the way I do everything? I mean, not really. The one I was thinking about yesterday was that we used to have to do these demonstrations. Right. Like every weekend for the every every summer. A lot. Every 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 weekend for the entire summer, for years, and then you got to this point where you just didn't care anymore. You're just like, up, oh, go up there, do this demonstration. Oh my God, there's 500 people watching, a thousand people watching. I don't care. Right. I'm tired because I had to train all morning, and then I had to come do this stupid demonstration, and I'm starving and stuff. I just want to get out of here. I really don't care. And then you just learn to go. Oh, this, this thing is happening. And then you do it. And so one time when I realized that I did that, um, I was taking this exam in Chinese medicine school, which was um, you had to go through like a a physical assessment on a person. And you you have like, I don't know, five minutes to do it or something like that. And so you you memorize all the steps, how to do it. And then in front of the whole class, you got to go up and do it with the teacher. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then I started doing it and I started doing this and you know, you're like, you know, um, look here, look there, do that. Look there, do that. And then I went, uh, eyes, legs, the, and then the teacher who was an old Vietnam medic, he goes, damn, that was cool. Nice. 
because I started to get ahead. I started to go, I started to get, you know, hyped up because you're doing, because you, it's timed. Right. And then I just stopped and I just like, so And then I just was totally calm after that. And afterwards he was like, well, what was that, man? And I go, I don't know, martial arts. He goes, Amazing. he said, that was so effing cool. And he was like this crazy uh, Vietnam medic, you know, but that's something you learned that you didn't know you were learning because you had to do these demonstrations that you don't want to do. And then you have to prepare yourself for these demonstrations. And then you have to learn to let it go and then just do the demonstration. And then you learn like, oh, and so the demonstrations weren't exactly a hack, but they were a certain type of preparation. They were, as we were talking about preparing people for black belt, it's this thing that you force people to do that later on enables them to just go, oh, I have to fight this person. Okay. Because the same the same nervousness that you're going to get from having to fight somebody, is, you're you're mimicking the yeah. most this the uh, parasympathetic nervous system's yeah. response. And so when you just go, because I would be like in demonstrations, I'd be like, okay, I'm next, I'm next. Oh my god, oh my god, these people. And then you have to go, and then calm yourself, and then just go out there and do it. Because if you did a bad demonstration, or you got hurt, or something okay, happened, got was bad. Sensei would get mad at you. And then, and then, and then, because you, he got mad at you, he's upset. He's gonna get mad at everybody. So everybody's mad at you. I saw, you know, I mean, this is just a collateral effect of it. But I remember back in the day when we used to do demonstrations all the time, that it it encouraged people to practice outside of class, like who they were training with, get a routine done. Well, yeah, that's because you're you're afraid of looking stupid. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna apply yourself, but that's the hack. You. The hack is to create this mental thing in your mind which you think is going to help you, right? So you say to yourself, oh, man, I'm going to have to demonstrate someday, so right. I better practice after class, even though you never you, – it, that's not even a thing right now. Right, doesn't happen. Right, or you go, I'm going to have to fight Bill at class tomorrow, so I better stay in shape. Because when I was a student, I did a ton of cardio. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran or walked in the treadmill almost every day for, for decades. Years. Because when I would go, oh, I'm kind of tired. I don't feel like walking on the treadmill. I don't feel like working out. I'd, I'd do that old um, Masahiko Kimura thing. If they train one hour, I will train three. Right. That you always were trying to stay ahead of other people. And so I would do a ton of cardio so that when I, came, when I took the you class. Wouldn't get, you wouldn't get tired. And since he was brutalizing everybody and making the class really hard, you're just like, isn't that hard, you know? And so they're all mental, mental constructs that we create that we think, yeah, this hack helps. This but it's thing hard helps. to train as a teacher that way now because, I mean, it's to go that hard. Yeah, everyone gets all mad. Oh, this is so mean to me today. Oh, since they blew up my, you know, I I just attacked someone really strongly. Yoko Minichi one time, uh, he rolled his ankle. He just collapsed. I didn't yeah. even touch him. And you go. Okay. Or the other day I trained really hard with people and I didn't train hard in a way in which I threw them hard. I just didn't let them throw me easily. Right. And then someone's like, oh, I hurt my neck because of that. And someone's like, oh, and you're like, <sighs> but then that's that thing, right? Like how you do anything and how you do everything at this level, you, ha you can't do that anymore. You know, one thing I remember you telling me, it's got to be 10 years now, is I had a injury. I don't know what it was, a knee or a hamstring, but I was out for like, two or three weeks. And I remember you made me sit and watch the class. 
and really look. And like that in and of itself was, I don't know if it's a hack, but it was a technique you used, at least for me when I was injured, on how to stay engaged. Not just coming and looking at class, but like coming and like using that time to uh, absorb. Well, yeah. So like I would tell people if you're injured, you still have to come to class. Right. I mean, I don't do that anymore to people. It's too cruel. But the reason why you do that is because you have to sit back and ask yourself, what are my tendencies? Mm. I have a tendency to quit. I have a tendency to be this. I have a tendency. These are my tendencies. And then you build a hack to force you not to fall into those tendencies. Those so, traps. Yeah. So like let's say you got injured. Well, my tendency is to get depression. My tendency is to um, worry. My tendency is and then isolate. Isolate and and my tendency is for this not to become part of my schedule. All right. So I still go. I still dress out and I sit and watch. Because at least it took away some of those tendencies that you might have done, and then you end up quitting because right. of it. You go, I this is I know myself, and this is what I'm going to fall into. So I go, okay, I, you know, this is the one I always think about, like every day, and I go, I got to stop doing this. Is that when you don't work out as much, you can't eat as much. <laughs> but I find it's myself total still logic, eating right? the same level yeah. of, hey, I'll just get two hamburgers. Why don't do that? You don't train as much anymore. You don't need that. Right. You don't need all those all those calories anymore. Okay, can't do that. But your mind wants the two hamburgers. Your mind wants two hamburgers, but it's also some of it is, um, you know, you, you're used to getting two hamburgers. Right. I, you're used to buying a double double, even though you probably could get away with a single. Right. Uh, you could, you know, or something else. That do I even really need this? Because when I was training. A lot. You could eat whatever you wanted. Yeah, you could eat 100 hamburgers. Yeah. Like one time I went to this nutritionist and he looks through the numbers and he goes, do you starve yourself before you, you took these tests? And I go, no. He goes, dude, all these levels are like borderline starvation. Damn. And I went, really? He's like, yeah, malnutrition, starvation. What's your diet? And he's like, dude, you got to stop. Because, you know, 30 years ago, they didn't know very much about uh, the nutrition. Yeah. Remember, you're just eating pasta before your carb loading. So you just eat a whole bunch of pasta. So I would just eat um, a, a huge bowl of pasta, no no proteins. Yeah. Oh, no. I, yeah, yeah. All that st- and all those stuff. So you didn't know any better. So he's like, look. And he, he forced me to every day to get the newspaper and eat a muffin every day. To get the extra energy. Get the, To get the extra. He said, I don't care. What? Because I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna get fat. I'm gonna get no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So he goes, What do you like? And I go, I kind of like muffins. He go, All right. To try to break me of this idea of this habit. that food is bad. So he goes, Every day, you got to sit back and read the newspaper, which people don't do anymore, and and eat that muffin. Not gobble it down. Not woof it down. Enjoy it. Sit there and enjoy this muffin every day. And I was like, Fine. You know. But like it's stuff like that where you you find these tendencies about yourself and you go, I have the tendency to be hard on myself. Okay, so then I got to do something which is easy for uh, I'm easy on myself to counteract your tendency, which is going to cause you to quit or fail, not 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 achieve your goal. So this is just kind of a follow-on question to that. You hear, I'm sure you've heard this. I hear it all the time in my work that people who learn to gamify what they do that they develop strategies to be a better player. Is that a, is that a legitimate uh-huh. uh, heuristic for Aikido? Yeah. 
the rules are this, and so you gamify the rules. So George St. Pierre is, you know, really, really famous for this. He realizes being on top and wrestling to the person down, he's, the longer he stays on top, the more he is technically in the dominant position and is winning points. So it's not that he's beating them. He games them. He goes, oh, this person's not a very good wrestler. So I wrestled him down and I and held the top, top position. And then by being on top, it seems dominant. So I win the fight. So that's called like what we call gaming. Right. right? Gaming. So you, in an Aikido sense, you go, well, uh, a person has to take Ukemi. So I, I don't take very good Ukemi for them, but I force them to take Ukemi for me. me. So like. That's why I get mad at you guys all the time. I go, if you're going to make them break fall, you better break fall also. Right. So like, that's a thing. They break fall for you, but then you don't break fall for them. And that's a gaming strategy. That's a gaming strategy to to reserve your energy and then really blast them through the mat and then make them tired. You know, or you crank their wrist hard, but then get upset when they crank your wrist hard. Right. You know, or this is my favorite gaming strategy. You're getting beat up or manhandled. <sighs> No, no, no! What you do, you're doing it all wrong. What you want to do is, <laughs> and you start and you start teaching them. That's my favorite thing that people do. That's when, definitely a game, when they, gaming when they, strategy. They get tired or they are getting bested by someone. They start to teach them. Oh no, no! This is what you want to do. You're not supposed to do it like that. So does gaming necessarily have a slightly negative connotation, or is it just about strategy? That's it's a strategy, right? It's you, a strategy. you, you. I know that you come on Wednesdays. And I don't like training with you, so I don't come on Wednesdays. That's gaming. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, that's why I always tell you guys, the best teacher is the most unreasonable. Right. Because they're unreasonable. They're like the Terminator. You can't negotiate with it. You can't buy it. You can't. You He won't listen. Right. Right? And that the best teacher is the one that's unreasonable because the unreasonable teacher will not allow you to have it your way. Right. You'll have to do it their way. And by doing it their way, you're forced out of your comfort zone and then you become better. Right. But yeah, like that's the thing. So it's gaming people. It's just a strategy. You know, you think um, Saturdays, Fruya Sensei goes to breakfast with the Yaido people ahead of time. And then when he comes back, he's in a better mood. So that's the day I go. Right. Saturday's a good day. Yeah. Saturday's a good day. Or you go, uh, he goes to intensive breakfast with the Aikido students the last Saturday of every month. So that's the day I go so that he's not teaching that class typically. It's usually taught by uh, David what, At James. what point in your training did you realize that gamif gamification or gaming the situation um, would work? Like, was it early on? I, didn't, your... I, didn't, I don't game. I, I, if I game, I game anti-game. I go, oh, this is the hardest route. I'll I'm taking it. that route. Yeah. When I used to do hot yoga, I would put my mat down under the vent and the teacher came to me and he said, you know, this is, that's the, the hottest, hottest spot in the room. And I said, yeah, I, I do. I want it. Yeah. And then, but then I become too competitive. I become, I, I'm fighting too much. Yeah. And so that's not, that's not a good thing either. But I don't, I don't game to make my life easier. I game to make my to life. To get better. To get better. I game to make it harder because in my mind. I erroneously, I say erroneous because down here it's true, but up here it's not true. I erroneously believe that everything has to be hard. Mm. If, if you have to, two paths to choose, hard or soft, just take, take the, the hard, hard one. Because yeah. the, the, the easy one is going to be, is going to lead to the hard one anyways. So might as well go with the hard one. And I, I, I don't know if today being 52 years old and having done Aikido for 30 years, is that the best way? I don't know. I mean, 
because now I do everything that way. Oh, it's going to be hard. I'll make it hard. And does your life need to be that hard all the time? I don't know. So when you think about gaming and that, that idea, I don't know how to make life my, easy. If I go, hey, can you fold these newsletters? And you go, well, I go, I'll just do it myself. Right. Because you already d- display that you don't have the desire to, to dive in. You know, so I'll just do it myself. You know, the, like they were talking about uh, the volunteer thing we're doing this week, next weekend. And there's some people that are like, I, I can't come. So if I don't go, who's going to do it? And I said, I'll just do it myself. Hmm. And then people go, I don't want you to do it, Sensei. And I'm like, if you don't well, come, if you don't come and you don't have the commitment to come, I guess I'll just do it myself. Yeah. But it's hard, right? Because people don't, if you, if I cannot force you as the teacher or to, to your anything. friend, you have to, you have to want to do it. You have to want to become better. You have to want to find a hack and a shortcut to make this better, this easier. But if you don't want to, then I can't force you. Oh, you better be better. You better be better. Yeah, we all should be better. So did did you ever have that you can think of like a lull in your training where you looked at yourself and you're like, I've got to change it up. No, it's always been the same. It's always been kill, kill, kill. kill. And if I'm gonna I'm gonna set my sights on, well, it's kill, 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 and and never be beaten. I don't ever I do my cardio because I never want to be beaten. Right. I still stretch every night for two hours before bed because it's trying to get trying to stay limber so that I don't get beaten. They might be able to dog me out cardio, but they'll not be able to crank my wrist because right. I, I'm not limber enough. But like that's the thing. Like I never had a lull. I never had a thing where. Or you, you, uh, the crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. But then I also was kicked out for eighteen months. So that's its own challenge in and of itself. That was the challenge of tr- not to become negative and and and, and jump ship. Mm-hmm. Especially at that time, I was kicked out. Several dojos in the area were trying to get me to become a teacher. A teacher there. I, three different people offered to bankroll me to open up my, open up my own dojo. Two of the people were former students at this school. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to, I said to myself, I'm going to see if what Fru Sensei is saying is right. And then I spent time working on it. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't go to therapy now, but I wish I could, but I was with a therapist for, for a long time before it was cool because I want to know, like I tell people what their problems are all the time. I try not to anymore. And people say, "Well, you don't want you don't want to be told what your problems are." And I go, "Oh, I I do. I if someone were to come to me and go, this is who you are,' I would spend the I would go, uh huh, uh huh, and then I would go home and go, is it true? Interesting. And then I would spend all this time trying to figure out if it was true or not, or even to some element if it's true. So uh, me, I'm totally all about trying to make it make it better, become better. So I didn't really have a even when I was kicked out. I didn't have a crisis of faith. I didn't think, oh, Aikido's fake, Aikido's done, or anything yeah. like that. I just was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to become better. I don't even, for instance, his only instruction was you have to learn to be more grateful and appreciative. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? I mean, today I understand it to be di- something different, but I spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. So, But I didn't, I didn't have a, I still train myself by myself. I, no one knows this, but for maybe a Six months, I trained Mike privately. And then wow. Free Sensei sent down the edict that no one was to speak to David at all and have no contact with him. And then I told Mike, can't call me, can't come by anymore. 
which is probably a bad thing. But I mean, that's I still train, right? You're still yeah. I still was training in my mind. I was still, you know, and it it didn't hurt my technique when I came back after being back away for eighteen months. Um, it took the edge off though. I wasn't as violent after that. Yeah. I didn't really care about being as as violent, but I, yeah, I did have a lull that I, that I know of. Did you ever have a lull? I I mean, I, it wasn't so much a lull in training, but that year that I had to take a year off because of uh, physical and mental health, um, I was lucky enough to be able to be at the dojo every day, and it allowed me to reorient myself in a way that I would never have had to do had I gone through that. So I don't I don't think I've ever had the feeling like like as you say like some people oh aikido's fake I, ne- I never had that. And I think part of the reason for that is is like as you say you grow up in the furuya cauldron you you get tested every day. Yeah, the fru the fires of furuya. Yeah, I mean it, but so like I I think like if you'd gone through that I I would imagine very few people they may leave for lots of reasons, but I don't know that people would leave Furuya school for feeling like Aikido is deficient. I mean, I, I never got that feeling from people. Um, uh, I didn't. I don't know. I, I really don't know why people left, but they. I mean, most of them left because they just couldn't handle that level of stress. Yeah. Two, four, seven, three. It six, was stressful. Nine. I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about this numerous times on different podcasts. So, but I mean, I would say that no, I, I, I definitely had a physical lull in my life, but I didn't have a. And, and a, a cry of angst over Aikido being not a good thing to do. I mean, there are definitely been times where I practice more than other times, yeah. and I wish I could be more consistent. Um, but at this point, like, I try to look at consistency as still being excited by it, still wanting to be a participant, wanting to be a supporter of the dojo. Um, and, you know, one of the things I think about I wanted to ask you on this podcast, maybe it's my last question, is, is there is there something like that like we talked about things that surprise but um in the last couple of years as you've been you've been chief instructor for over 15 years now yeah like yeah 15, 15 years yeah i think it's like 15 years um and we've talked about some things you've changed and going from like torturing the students to get them to get it to a certain point um what what techniques are you working on now that are different than other techniques that you had in the past? Is there something in the last like year or two years that like technical Aikido? Like Aikido. it could be technical, it could be uh, mental training. Um, no, the only thing I work on two four seven three six five is do how do you teach people? Right. Um, like I think oh I know how to teach people. I have a background in fitness training. I have a background in physical education, and I go I have no idea. And when people tell me, oh, my God, I'm an expert at developing people. I'm an expert at teaching Aikido. I just go. Really? Uh, okay. Because, I mean, I don't, I have no idea because, and, the, you know, this is the thing that you're trying to figure out. What, how do you develop someone? Right. You know, I could be brutal to people. I could be mean. I could take out my bad day on people. Everybody can, anyone can do that. Right. But the, can, not everyone can develop someone that. It's difficult. That doesn't get it. That's not. That's not on the same page as everybody else. Right. And that's, that's the a, challenge. That's the challenge. The challenge, like, I mean, dude, I have tons of techniques, methods, styles running through my head. And I just go, I don't know. I mean, today I just try to make it um, 
a physical class. Right. Because at the very least, people can stay in shape. Right. Right. And then I try not to talk too much because half the time I, I say these, I go, oh, this is this thing. And then later I go, ah, I don't know. There's a while where I'd be creating my own techniques and I still do. But then I go, oh, this is just going to lead people astray because, right. man, you got, you got to do your Ikkyo, Nikkyo, Sakyo, Yonkyo's. So, I, I mean, I don't really know. And so I spend a lot of time, if not every moment, going, I don't know how to teach people. Uh, I've started and stopped books on teaching, writing them. I mean, I've got tons of them written, half written, quarter laid out. And then I just go, I don't know what I'm doing, man. So, I mean, I really, it's luck. When I look at these famous teachers, famous shihans with three of their kids, like there's a, a, a teacher in, in Singapore, Philip Lee. He's, I think, like three sons and a daughter or two sons and a daughter do Aikido. I go, I go how lucky. Right. How lucky that you, you're young enough to develop your kids to do it. And they, they you were lucky enough that they wanted to do they it. They love it. You're lucky. I mean- it, there's a, a tremendous amount of luck there. And you think, Yamada says he, you know, he passed away not with a very clear clear successor. Succession you know, plan. They have people that take over, but are they you know, they are they going to be Yamada Sensei level people? Kanai Sensei died. He didn't have anybody. Chiba Sensei died. He didn't have anybody. Right. Fru Sensei died. Watanabe Sensei was gone. It was me. And then here today, I just go... How lucky it was that I was here. That you were available. How lucky is, are these other people in these other countries that happen to have someone that can take over their school? Shirakawa Ruji, his, his father is lucky that he has him because it easily could have gone the other way. Oh, since they had more than one kid right. that didn't want to do Aikido. Third doshu, same thing. And then you're lucky if this person goes, I'll do it. You're, oh my gosh, how lucky. And then to develop that person to become a competent teacher, even more lucky. Because you were lucky enough to get them. Now you're lucky enough that they were receptive or talented enough to become good. Right. And then I think, oh, my God, I'm running out of time. And, but maybe I won't be lucky. Maybe other people will be lucky. Maybe this dojo won't last another generation. And it'll just be unlucky like that. But I spent a lot of time thinking, oh, how do you teach people? Well, I can use this method. I could scare them into being better. I could force them to being better. I could. What's a method that you tried that definitely didn't work? Nobody is like me. You can't treat anyone like me. So then I'm the type of person where Sensei treated me poorly. I said, I'm going to beat you. And then I trained hard to beat him. Right. I do that to people. They go, I'm quitting. Oh, my God. I'm going to go Deshi for the Dalai Lama now. And you go, okay, man. I mean. They go, oh, thank you so much. The Dalai Lama says I'm great. Word. Good job. Tell him I said hi. Tell him I, uh, the bill is in the mail. But uh, you can't, I can't, there's no one that is as, as serious as me. Yeah, like Maria said this morning, you're not, you're not easy. And I go, I am easy. You're not, I know, I know I'm not. Right. I'm super majime, majime, which means strict. So I tried that. I tried giving it to people. Hey, man, you could be better. Hey, you know, you could be this person. You have talent. And then they went, I've got talent. I'm way more talented than you. I'm not listening to you ever again. You go, uh, shoot. I tried being nice to people. Tried really giving it, giving it to people. They didn't want it. So today you just think you got to wait for the person who wants it. Right. 
dude, there's so much information running around in my head, technical information, philosophical, spiritual, that I just go, eh, nobody wants it. I, dude, I asked my st the students, hey, you read my, my, my blog? No, I don't read it. That's an interesting question. The blog is for the students, but have you found since you've had to develop the discipline of writing almost every day? It's it, the blog is my is my training. That's yeah, how that's, that's part your of my training. training. Yeah, that's how I develop myself. Because that's really hard to do. Most people cannot put pen to paper every day I, I and would, write something yeah. interesting and original. I would write every day, except for people go, dude, you write way, dude, you too many emails come from the dojo. And I go, okay, uh, I'll just write every day. Dude, there's two. And then people, in a weird way, writing Monday through Friday, it's it's too difficult for people. Like, I, I mean, I would- it's too much information to I handle. would prefer to write every day because I know my mind, it needs it to stay on track. But right. if I do that, people become overwhelmed with too many emails. Or the, I said, what if I just wrote and then just left on my blog and then- who, no one even comes to my our website that I think, and they can just read it on my blog. And someone said, just knowing that it's there is overwhelming. And I uh, so then I just write twice a week, Mondays and Fridays. Start the week, end the week. Yeah. But if I if I if I had your way, had my way, I would I would write every day. So do you? Are you close now to a book? Um, I am, but I just figured I did some research on on a on writing a book and. It's it, interestingly enough. I didn't know if you know this. Is that most books are two to three hundred words per page, and I went, and I was going to write this. Or maybe I still will. Where I write um, an inspirational three hundred word. It, it's uh, uh, for every day, and then I think that's so. That's my new training. Is that I'm going to try to write because right now I just write, right. and it's usually I usually end up writing close to seven hundred words. So a I'm going to I'm going to try to write. 400 words or maybe I'll try to write 500 words but my next one is to become more succinct yeah compact and and say what you need to say quit faster or whatever it is and then when I can get it down like that then I'm going to go back and write like a 365 days of martial arts BS that comes out of my mouth but but that's but that's the hard part like I'm also trying not to overwhelm people with what I write or how much I write. Like someone said, I save it up and I read it like once a month. And I go, that's a bunch of BS. Just say you don't read it. You know, but then when Sensei was alive, I never read his blog either because I lived it. You the Elster, the, El the list serve stuff yeah, that he did. All that stuff that he did, you lived it. And you're like, yeah, I remember that. Or, oh, he's writing about me today. But I write as part of my training. Right. I teach as part of my training. I write as part of my training because. Now nobody wants me to beat them up in class, right? And whenever I do, people just quit, and then I they can't handle it, and then I can't fully express myself physically anymore. Not because I don't, not because I can't. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be taken out. Nobody wants to be jammed. No, and then they just go, eh, or they take it wrong. They go, oh, "What a jerk!" So you you raise a I think a really interesting question. Um, is is Countering a jam, uh, a heuristic, is that a thing you need to go through? Uh, jam, jamming the jam? Jam, yeah, or jamming the jam. Countering the – someone jams you and you counteract their jam? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're good, you, you – I mean, that's – You can develop that, it. That is what – I have a 10th degree black belt in jamming the, the jam. jam. Yeah. But you can't – for one, you can't jam. 
Right. You're not supposed to jam. You're not supposed to. And then when they jam you, depending on who they are, you have to just let them. But jamming, unjamming the jam or not letting them jam you, dude, that's, oh, that's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. But some people, if they try to jam you, they might end up getting hurt, right? I mean, is that part of the problem of unjamming the jam is that it, it, it encourages well, destructive they, behavior because they have to hold. They have. They, most people can't. They only got one jam, so they're jamming it by holding strongly, and then you do the thing, and then because they're focusing solely on the jam, they're going to fall down. They and get lose hurt. the continuous connection. Or they fall down and get hurt, or they yeah. hurt their arm, or they tear their bicep, or they jam their finger, and then you go, oh well. And then what happens? When I do it, I go, oh, I feel all bad afterwards. And I go, oh, why do I do that? Oh, I gotta stop doing that. Yeah. And then I feel all bad because I was having a good time. Right. Because the thing is that, and the way I learned to jam the jam is because I was always the smallest out of all of us. So they'd go, oh, Bill, Ken, Bill, this, that, David. Da, da. You, Shorty, let's do this. And I'd be like, what? And then they right. would, and then I'd go, and then I learned how to jam their jams right? and all this stuff. And like, you've heard the famous story that if anybody but David breaks his arm, I'll be upset. <laughs> and then you go, I'll break anybody's arm. But so, I mean, we, I mean, we I think probably mind this, wind this, this well, podcast we probably up. didn't even make a point, but, um, well, but the. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, leave them in the comment section. If you have a concept or an idea or a question, leave it in the comment, se- se- comment section and we'll try to answer it. But thank you for watching or listening. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.